Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. This episode will surround the increasingly grim supply chain situation within the supplement industry. I'll summarize as much up-to-date insights and information as possible, provide an outlook for the future, and offer strategies to better manage the supply chain situation in the immediate term. Before we get started, I would love if you took 41 seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review on whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the supply chain situation in the supplement industry is going to get much worse over at least the next six months before it gets better. I know that's a bit of an ominous introduction. I do not want to add extra anxiety and stress to your already filled up plates, but you don't tune in to consume my content for me to feed you any bullshit, positive, fake news. I've always kept it real and there's no reason for me to stop today. Now, it's been about four and a half months since I've given a proper introduction on the supply chain situation in the supplement industry. If you haven't consumed that content yet, I would suggest checking that out. It has a ton of introductory information. So if you're not well-versed in what's happening with the supply chain situation in the supplement industry, it's gonna give you a ton of information. So make your life easier. I'll pop that one up for you guys right here. Also leave that link in the content's description. This past week, I also was a part of a panel for Supply Side 365 with the founder and CEO of Nutribio, Mark Glazier. We talked about the supply chain situation in the supplement industry, also gave a little bit of our opinion on where the future outlook was, and talked about some of the strategies to plan and manage for this situation in the immediate term. This piece of content, my hope is to really summarize some of that information that we talked about, but also give as much up-to-date insights and information as I can. This is a moving target, and it's always kind of changing on a day-to-day basis. This is an unprecedented moment in business history. Mark made a comment during the panel that kind of really drove this home for me, saying that over the 25 years that he has been a manufacturer and brand owner in the supplement industry, if he piled up all of the issues he's had in the supply chain over those years, it would not compare to the issues that he had just this year. And though my history in the supplement industry kind of pales in comparison to Mark's, only been a industry consultant and strategist for the last 12 years, I agree with Mark 100%. There's a ton of information that I'm gonna try to cover in this piece of content and I'm going to do my best to keep it as organized as possible because I want to jam in as much information that I can, but also make it actionable to anybody that's consuming it. So let's kind of start with the ingredient side, talk about maybe what's being impacted there. The easiest answer to kind of say is everything is being impacted. It seems like every single day something new gets impacted. So we're talking about like major sports nutrition, active nutrition, supplement ingredients like creatine, citrulline, arginine, protein, caffeine, 
ton of different like herbal ingredients, a bunch of different components that go into the flavor systems of all products. A little bit of these things are produced domestically. Most of these are being produced overseas and in China. But what I'm talking about when I'm saying impact, some of this could be that the availability is pinched and the price from a supply and demand perspective um, increases. That's kind of the good news. Bad news is there are some ingredients and some different components that have completely dried up or you know, are extremely hard to get to, especially if you are a smaller business. That's kind of the bad news. And all of these things are very like episodic. So if you have products that have a ton of different inputs into them, you tend to have more risk because there might be 80% or 90% of the things that come in for your product, it might be slotted to be produced, but that five or 10% maybe doesn't show up and then you're kind of moved to the back of the line. But beyond ingredients, there are also a ton of issues that are happening around some of the components. So we're talking about plastics, maybe glass has been in shortage. We're talking about beverages, aluminum have been an issue for the longest time. Some of the paper that gets used for the labels have been in shortage. So every single thing, not just ingredients, are being impacted at different times. And you might be listening to this and thinking, I haven't been impacted all that much yet. You're lucky, but what I'm gonna say is you're not gonna get out of this unscathed. This is going to affect everybody, especially as kind of things ebb and flow and people start to make adjustments on their own brands. There's gonna be shortages that kind of pop up all over the place. So you need to wrap your head around thinking about this the right way and approaching it in the best possible manner. As I just kind of briefly mentioned, most of the ingredients do come from China. So I want to kind of cover what's happening there, kind of go through that so you can understand why that's such a big issue right now. I see this coming down to like a handful of different items. The first one is around the COVID-19 effect shutdowns. Coronavirus, obviously the origin point is China and it was in manufacturing regions. So a lot of the shutdowns of the factories and manufacturing sectors um, were long. They're still been happening on an intermediate basis. They're still kind of struggling with this today. But as the demand for supplements and all those different things increased, the supply was shut off. So all of the extra kind of buffer of ingredients have been completely utilized. And now we're at this point where we don't have much, and I'll talk about maybe why that's such an issue now because of some of the other things that are happening in China. But something that's interesting with China is the way they do kind of business. And during those shutdowns, the employees still need to be paid. So even though the companies were not making any money, they still had to pay employees. It's much different than America. And because of that, a lot of the companies, businesses that make the components or the raw materials for the supplement industry tend to be on the smaller, medium size and they didn't really have the available amount of financial buffering and things to kind of continue to do that. And the next kind of issue, what's going on in China is the kind of credit crunch debt situation that's happening. This definitely relates to the above because as those small and medium sized businesses needed to go out and get more credit to keep the business running, maybe there wasn't all that much available or maybe the banks weren't all that willing to give out more credit because of what they were seeing with some of the default rates and things. Now, most in America maybe have not heard of what was happening in China, and that's because the Chinese government does an extremely great job at keeping all that close to their chest and muffling it because they wanna look great and they wanna be the next powerful economy and overtake America. And if they have a bunch of really bad news bylines, 
that's not going to be all that good for them from a global standpoint, from a financial market. So they have done a good job at keeping that as muffled as possible. But the microscope has went on them because of the Evergrande situation and a lot of the stuff that's happening on the real estate credit side of China. Now, you might think that has nothing to do with anything around the supplement industry, but there is a lot of contagion effects that could happen if that defaults and that takes out some of the banks and different things like that. They can't loan any extra money to some of these small and medium-sized factories and different things like that that does have a huge direct impact on the supplement industry. Now, the third kind of item is just the outbreaks that have been happening with COVID-19. No country has insulated from that happening. China maybe has, at least again from the global news, talked about how well they've done. That might not be true in real terms if we knew all the information, but if you think about the situation they're in and how far they are behind in some of the output of supplement ingredients and, and different components, and then you have an outbreak, even a short one, you then are going to get even further behind. So same if it happens at some of the logistic points around the country. If that happens, they have to shut down a port or they have to shut down you know, rail system or an airport. That is going to cause a ton of further delays. Now, the fourth item that I want to kind of mention here is the pollution issue that's happening right now. China China has always kind of had that issue, but a lot of you might forget that there is another Olympics that are coming up. We just had one, and that's because it was delayed. But in 2022, in February, Beijing will host the Winter Olympics. So the Olympics really brings a lot of attention towards a country, and they're going to be looking at China and their pollution problem again, because in 2008, that was a big issue as well. So they're going to be doing a lot of different things to kind of clean that up. They're going to put a ton of different restrictions. They're already doing that now into you know, what type of power, how much power you can kind of utilize, not allowing certain like really dirty manufacturing outputs to be made right now. Some of those could be in the supplement industry. So that could cause some further issues. And then the last point to kind of bring up is further around like the power crisis that's happening in China right now. Honestly, they don't have enough of power for their country at this point. And because of that, they are putting huge restrictions on the country. And a lot of these factories that would normally want to run 24-7 to get caught up on the demand, they're not allowing them to do that. They're only allowing them maybe 50% or 60% of their normal usage of power because they don't want to have these huge rolling blackouts, especially when we're talking about a bunch of people coming over for the Olympics soon. And you're already seeing that with the Q3 GDP numbers that came out of China. Those were much lower than what everybody expected. And demand is only increasing globally. And I'm not just talking about supplements, I'm talking about every single thing. And being that China is a big supplier for the things that we need, and supply is only trickling out at this point, and there's some things that are put in place for them not to get ramped up as much as they would like to. This is not good news, and you cannot see that there's going to be an immediate fix for this until at least after the Olympics. Now, looking at like kind of the next stage of international supply chain, and this is mostly done over the water, I want to explain kind of what's happening here. Now, availability of ships has been kind of a thing that's been thrown around lately. You have to kind of consider that building a container ship takes a while takes months um, to build a container ship. And it's taken a much longer time now because there's missing 
parts, maybe there's uh, restrictions on labor or a number of other things that could be slowing things down. So you just can't like turn on and make a bunch of ships to help this. You also have very large corporations that are chartering container ships for their own needs. Those are ships that normally would be available to everybody because those large brands, large retailers want to make sure they have product on the shelf for the holiday season. So that obviously cuts down on the availability of ships. You also have to consider that some of these ships could be broken down. Maybe they don't have the appropriate parts to get them fixed. So those are out of service at this point. Then you must consider like the efficiency of these container ships. Normally you would you know, get back and forth across the Pacific as quick as possible, unload, load, unload, you know, and it just kind of keeps happening. But as there are bottlenecks that have happened, because I'm gonna explain a little bit of those later, um, you're not as efficient as possible. You're sitting out uh, away from port for sometimes as long as a month. You've likely heard about a lot of those problems with the port of Los Angeles or the Long Beach port with you know, upwards of 100 ships that had record number of that were just out there waiting to get to the port. But that's not just happening there. It's happening really anywhere from you know, the East Coast with Savannah. There is port congestion at a level that we hadn't seen ever. You have you know, 50 to 80% congestion rates at American ports and 77% of ships are waiting an abnormally long time. And there's a ton of things that are going on that are causing this efficiency miss with the container ships, this ocean sea freight part of the supply chain. First, and we have to kind of consider this, is that demand is at an all-time high. And if you just consider the Port of Houston that's close to where I'm located, they've had double-digit year-over-year growth in that port for the last seven straight quarters. And this is like between the fifth and the eighth biggest port in America. That's not abnormal. This is every single port is breaking records almost on a quarter-over-quarter -quarter basis. And then we have to consider California here, and I hate to pick on California, but they are the biggest state economy that we have. A lot of the goods are moving through California, and that's because they have the biggest port in America that's been the biggest port for over the last two decades. That is the Port of LA, but they also have an important one right up the street in Long Beach. They handle a lot of the goods, and because of that, there are some state and kind of local regulations that are creating extra unneeded damage and slowing things down at this time. As an example, Long Beach has a stacking limit on how many of the kind of empty containers can be on the storage terminal yards. Because of that, all the other like extra empties would have to stay on a trucking chassis. And if you are a truck that is trying to make a turnaround and, and get a new load and you have an empty container, they're not allowing you to actually drop off that empty. They don't know what to do with them. And because of that, that's just creating a further bottleneck. There's just not enough of space right now in the yards and the terminals for what's going on. You also have to consider just California overall has a certain restriction on the newness of a truck or a truck engine. It needs to be newer than 2011. So that takes away some of the fleet that could possibly come into California to help out the situation. You also have load limits on some of the roads. That's definitely hurting the flow of goods. Now they're not the only problem, but there are a lot of things that can be done or at least rolled back in the short term that could help the situation overall. It's going to help all the supply chain, but it's also gonna help the supplement industry as well. So now that the goods are at the port, maybe you've been lucky enough to actually get that container unloaded. Now, kind of what's happening? Why is the supply chain still screwed up at this point? So as I kind of mentioned, there's a huge 
kind of bottleneck that's happening on the unload side towards the trucks. And you're dealing with an overall truck and labor shortage. Talking about just truck shortages, um, think about the same issue with some of the things that are happening with ships. Maybe they're broken down. You can't get the parts to fix them because the supply chain screwed up with that part of the economy as well, or maybe to build new trucks. We're not having all the components there. Maybe semiconductors are missing, so there's not new trucks that are coming out to the market. Then you have, from a trucker standpoint, many of the older truck drivers decided to just kind of bow out and retire during this time because of the extra health concerns. You also had the trucking schools that were not deemed as necessary, so new Truck drivers that maybe were interested in getting their CDL or some other certification to drive truck, they were not able to do that during the pandemic. Younger individuals are not all that interested in being a truck driver, even though they make a great living. But some of the work conditions and maybe treatment of truckers has been at an all-time low, and that's driving a lot of people out of the industry. Now, if you're looking at labor completely and not just from a truck standpoint from the truck drivers, you have warehouse workers or maybe the terminal or port workers. Every single labor shortage that's happening across the country right now, that part of the economy is not insulated. They're dealing with the same thing. They're not able to get the amount of workers they need to create the output that would catch us up in America right now. You also have to remember that getting these things to the rail system, so using maybe intermodal type of transportation is just as clogged up and just as costly as using trucks. Air freight is something that's not all that utilized for the components, raw materials, and different things in the supplement industry. But even if it was, those prices have skyrocketed as well as a lot of the commercial flights and things have been, again, chartered by large corporations, large retailers and brands. And there's also labor shortages that are happening in that area as well. And this all causes price jump after price jump as it hits every single part of the supply chain, the logistical system here. Suppliers, manufacturers, and brands, as they move goods around in those different kind of phases of this business, each one of those are costing more money. Each one of those are adding to the overall cost of goods. And this doesn't even include any of the supplement industry specific kind of things that are unique, and that is that the business is usually very asset light operations type business models most of the brands in the space do not manufacture their own goods. They are relying on a network of contract manufacturers across the United States. And if we're looking at the issues from their perspective, from the contract manufacturing standpoint, they're dealing with labor issues as well. They're dealing with all these episodic discontinuities, so they're creating a ton of issues with them planning what they're going to make. At this point, a day-to-day -day basis, they're going to have to change schedules on the fly based around what's coming in the door that day. This is unheard of. You normally have weeks, if not months, in advance knowing exactly what products, what brands are slotted into the manufacturing schedule. You're able to appropriately plan for these things. It's not the case anymore because something could kind of change on the moment or maybe you have not enough staff to come in that day and you can't produce as much as you're looking for. There's a mess of things that are going on right now. So this is a pretty grim picture, right? Apologize for painting that grim picture, but I think everybody kind of needs to know what's exactly going on right now. So what can supplement companies do right now, if anything, to improve the situation? I want to look at this from both a short term and a long-term perspective. A lot of the problems and challenges and things that I talked about 
earlier in this piece of content are things that are really outside of the control of a company. You can manage for these things, you can try to plan for these things, but they are not things that you can control. So right now it really comes down to being able to maintain the right inventory while also sustaining business operations through profitable commercialization. You must start planning for the worst case scenarios, even if it's not hit your business yet. So when I mention right inventory, what I'm talking about is kind of a concept I call protect your house. Think about this from like the 80-20 principle because the odds are 20% of your SKUs make up 80% of your sales. So those 20% of your SKUs, those are the ones that need to stay in stock. These are what people think about your brand. And them being in stock arguably controls your frequency of reorders, keeping your average order value higher, and maintaining some level of brand loyalty. Brands really need to think about creating operational buffers to keep these products in stock by any means necessary. So that could mean actually directly purchasing components to keep those products in stock, talking to your current manufacturing partners to ensure that they are aware that you need extra stock secured for you, maybe you work on some plan to make that beneficial for both sides, and working with new manufacturers and partners to ensure that you have backup plans just in case your first kind of plan A ends up being interrupted in somehow. And because the lead times are being naturally stretched out longer, Businesses that are in the CPG industry need to have more cash to run their business. Being undercapitalized right now is a terrible decision. The bulk of your cash reserves that are being unutilized for business operation purposes to keep the lights on should be utilized to increase inventory of that right inventory, that 20% that makes up 80% of your sales. And you might be thinking, well, I don't have any extra cash. What do I do at this point? But if you're tight on cash, there's maybe three main things that you can kind of utilize to help yourself in this situation. First one is skew rationalization. This is something you should be doing all the time, but this is really important right now. Taking a look critically at your product portfolio and analyzing it by the sales volume and how that is matching up against the rest of your portfolio and then also the profitability of those products. They don't meet those standards, they need to be cut at this point. So you have to create kind of aggressive sales promotions to get those sold through, create and speed up that cash conversion cycle to get that cash back in your hands and being able for you to reinvest it in the right places. Second is looking at instituting cost controls. So cutting out a lot of the unneeded fat that isn't product specific. So this could be anything around some of the sales general administrative or any other things. You should be looking at your business very critically at this point and cutting any unnecessary expenses possible. And then from a financial buffering standpoint, you need to be looking at what are your available options to raise debt, You know, get some extra credit, look to bring on equity partners, if that's an option as well. Work with any of your partners to see if they can extend out some of your terms, maybe speed up some of the terms on your accounts receivable. You need to help that cash conversion cycle get tighter so you can get that cash back in your hand to reinvest it in the right places. Additionally, you should be going through a intricate analysis of that 20%, those most important SKUs, and going through like this worst case scenario type of analysis where you Think about every kind of worst case scenario that could happen 
and kind of built in having different alternate formulas, different substitutes and backups for every single ingredient within those products and making sure from a creative standpoint, you have all those labels, everything that would slow you down already done. So when something does come up you know, out of the blue and you know it's gonna be an extended period where you cannot have that go out of stock, you can quickly have a game plan to make sure that you minimize that impact. And then if we're looking at this from more of a long-term perspective, brands need to do a better job at creating network effects and, and really doing a good job at actually knowing their supply chain. You need to break down the supply chain in every single part. And you should be knowing the main people. You should be having conversations. They should know you throughout that supply chain. You can no longer 100% be relying on third parties like your contract manufacturer to do all of that for you. Yes, they are a fiduciary. They obviously want it the best for you because that helps them, but they're looking out for a ton of different brands and things can kind of slip through the cracks. You need to watch out for yourself. You need to make sure that you're putting some type of effort and resources towards the supply chain. Now, I'm not talking about going out and actually self-manufacturing yourself or maybe you know, adding all this extra capital expenditure costs on your books. But what I'm saying is you have to do a better job at building relationships throughout your supply chain. Business is really done on a human to human basis. So as things come up and chaos comes up, if you don't have any relationship and you're just a nameless, faceless organization on the books of some of these supply chain steps, they're not gonna be able to help you out because they don't know who you are. They don't know anything about you. Now, I've talked throughout this video of all these different pinch points, bottlenecks, all these different struggles and challenges and slow ups and all this kind of stuff. All that kind of creates the snowball effect that increases costs. And where do the costs go? Over this last probably year, maybe even longer than that, each part within this supply chain has tried their best to hold off by passing that cost down. You know, suppliers, they ate a lot of the extra costs, maybe contract manufacturers, um, maybe brands. But at this point, there's no longer any available spread. There's no longer much margin left for any of these components. So they have to pass this on to consumers. So right now you're seeing supplements increase in price. Um, they've already been doing this, or you're going to start to see a lot of those things start to be instituted very quickly. There might be some lumpiness in terms of how this is being kind of spread out to the market based around you know, reorder points, inventory levels of some of the brands. But you're going to see this from a direct standpoint and an indirect standpoint. Direct standpoint is where you're going to see this passed up to some of the intermediaries like a wholesaler. Then the wholesaler is going to pass that on naturally um, to the retailer, retailer back up to the consumer. Uh, but you're also going to see the brands that have direct to consumer or maybe managing their own Amazon marketplace listings. They are already increasing prices. Now, on an indirect standpoint, you're going to see less promotional activity, a lot less sales. Um, that, so that's going to hit the consumer's pocket as well on a kind of relative basis because they're used to getting a much steeper discount. And I think supplement brands should be increasing prices at this time, be that directly or indirectly, I think probably both of those ways at this time. But I would make sure that you're timing this with some type of value accretive announcement as well. So that could be, you know, maybe some cost saving type of extra that you're going to have. Maybe that's a new subscription model. Maybe you're adding some extra benefits to the loyalty program. Maybe there's a new 
flavor, new mega size variant that's cost per serving goes down to help some of those kind of value oriented consumers, or maybe there's a new and improved formula. If you pair that together, it helps to distract the consumer a little bit away from what's actually happening. But whatever the case, brands or all businesses in general, if they're making a change to their pricing and different things like that, they should have that attached to a communication strategy that is authentic and on brand because it's increasingly important right now to have strong customer relationships and keeping those. The only way to do that is to be honest, transparent, and authentic. And in terms of maybe is there a limit to how high these prices can be raised, you know, price elasticity of demand is a real thing. Brands should be kind of looking at that and trying to figure out is the available price increases, is it actually helping them? Is it gonna hurt them? Is this something they're gonna to have to pull back when they do get some cost decreases in the future if that does happen? Not exactly sure if prices ever go down to the levels that they were prior to this, but if they do, you need to understand that each one of your products and your brand's price elasticity of demand. Sometimes price increases are good. I know that's scary for the supplement industry because they tend not to ever increase prices. There's this race to the bottom always that's happening. So regardless of kind of what happens, it should be thought of as an opportunity to learn for the future. But I do think that we'll see customers maybe push back in the protein market first over all of the other markets because if you think about protein and being that it's a commodity and there's not much difference between product A and product B, consumers are used to knowing maybe what price they should pay per pound or maybe per package that they're usually used to buying. So price increases, they're going to notice that more. This is a similar effect that you have towards like grocery items that you buy a lot of, some of those fast-moving consumer goods. You tend to know like what a gallon of milk costs or maybe what a 12-pack of soda costs or what eggs cost, things like that. So when prices change, you quickly notice those things. So protein's the closest we have in our industry to knowing that. So protein is going to be the one that is likely going to get the most kickback. And as those prices get to a point where it's just not worth it anymore, maybe the consumer makes decisions. Either they're gonna to try to substitute, so towards maybe an other type of protein, maybe that's plant-based protein, maybe they go to a cheaper type of protein source, maybe they just get completely out of protein powder and into just animal or plant-based food proteins, or they just start to utilize it much less and the time in which they need to rebuy that two pound of protein or whatever that is, is going to elongate, thus hurting brands. I want to kind of talk about all these things that are happening. Is this creating a situation that could be ripe for inferior quality or product adulteration? I think the easy answer to this is yes. Um, I think that it would be dumb for us to think that this isn't going to happen. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen in a huge quantity of the industry, but I do think there's going to be the outliers, the bad actors that are going to do whatever means necessary. If their back's against the wall and they're trying to keep their business open, they're going to make decisions that are probably less than ideal for the consumer. I remember over the last few months, off-spec materials have been offered up around the industry. They're no longer being offered up around the industry. So my guess is somebody bought that and utilized it and kind of put it already into a commercialized product. You have some other companies that are taking like certain steps within the process of production or logistics. They're kind of taking that in-house and doing it themselves. Maybe that is like some basic powder blending and different things like that. Even though it's easy, they shouldn't be doing it, especially if they don't know what they're doing and they're not doing it to health and, and safety regulations because that puts consumers at risk. 
And then brands that have proprietary formulas, they're gonna be hiding behind that. This is going to be something they're gonna do legally. They're not gonna to wanna to change their labels more than likely, or maybe they will change their labels, but they're gonna be changing the ratios of the higher cost ones and the lower cost ingredients to make that formula stay at the price point and margin control that they're looking for. And that's ultimately going to be at the detriment of the consumer. My hope is that this doesn't severely hurt the consumer market. A lot of things have been going well for the supplement industry. There's been a lot of momentum, a lot of eyes are on the supplement industry now. Things are going really well and I'd hate to see us move back years since the media is waiting for these bad stories to come out. They're waiting to say how the supplement industry is just full of a bunch of steroid dealers and it's unregulated and all these other things that are untrue. And we, as a supplement industry, need to do a great job at self-policing. We need to watch out for these things. If you do hear or see these things, you need to speak up to the right people because we need to continue to push this industry in the right direction. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is that some businesses might shut down. You're already kind of seeing this now. I think it's gonna happen in two phases. The now phase is really with the kind of fast follower, white label type brands. This is the huge amount of the long tail that's been created over the last probably three to five years in the supplement industry. Low barriers of entry, these drop shippers that operate either through online or through marketplaces are able to just kind of buy up base white labeled formulas. And since a lot of these issues are happening, a lot of those manufacturers are maybe struggling to get the appropriate things. The prices have had to increase. The margins maybe not there for these drop shippers to do this business anymore. And they're agnostic to what they sell. They could care less if it's supplements or it's bed sheets or it's toilet paper or whatever. So they're just gonna move to a category of products that are easier for them to create and more profitable for them to create. So you're already seeing that now. You're seeing less of that activity on Amazon. We'll see how long it kind of leaves, but there is a huge amount of death that's happening on that part of the industry right now. But in addition to some of those long tail fast follower brands, I think some of the uncapitalized startups that are not differentiated, that don't really have anything unique in the market, they're gonna struggle and they're naturally going to perish as well. Now, the next phase I think is going to be this like boring middle legacy businesses that struggle as the cost spread throughout the supply chain or the value chain, you also have demand that's kind of shifting into new areas and people being able to move much quicker. These boring middle legacy businesses are going to have a bunch of trouble and a lot of them are going to be undercapitalized. They're not gonna have the available buffers to get themselves through this. So as some of these contagion effects and things happen throughout the industry over the next you know, year or two, you're gonna see an acceleration of these brands start to either get passed around to different private equity firms, maybe just decide to shut down for tax purposes if they're owned by a large corporation, or they might just kind of bow out silently and we're not gonna see them anymore. And while business death is never great, um, it's also just a part of life. It's a part of the business world. And as things die and the weak perish, it builds a stronger foundation for the future in the industry. Now, I just wanna end on some final thoughts, and this is just gonna to be towards maybe some things to think about in the future. The first is I believe there needs to be more communication between the brand side and the supply side. Supplement brands are terrible at demand planning. They're even worse at communicating some of the different things that are happening in their business to their main suppliers. Because those suppliers are in the dark, they are trying to make assumptions based around 
what those needs are of these different brands. Sometimes they're working with dozens, if not hundreds of different brands. So they're trying their best to acquire as much of the ingredients they need in terms of what they think. And that creates a ton of issues either by having too much or too little. And if you think about that a couple steps down, like the suppliers of the raw materials, maybe the factories that are creating those materials, each step down, there is more and more variances in the supply and demand that happens and it creates a ton of inefficiencies. And this is what they call the bullwhip effect and it needs to stop immediately within the supplement industry. The next is that I hope we don't continue to chase mirages. My biggest fear right now is that the supply side of the industry is going to look at maybe high prices, they look at high growth demand categories and they start to shift out of production or the manufacturing of of some of these high volume, but maybe lower margin categories. This is ultimately gonna leave the industry in a much worse position. The next is considering us creating a kind of decentralized, completely transparent tagging of the materials within the supply side of the industry. The low barriers of entry that are all over the industry is creating a ton of inefficiencies throughout the system. We don't know where anything's at. We don't know all the different suppliers and what they have on their books. Maybe they have a ton of different useful materials that some other supplier or some other manufacturer or brand could utilize at this time, but we don't know. We don't know where any of this stuff is. So there needs to be like tagging. There also needs to be some type of decentralized marketplace, B2B type thing where people know exactly what's available and we can utilize the excess in the best way possible. And then finally, and the most maybe obvious, is that we need to diversify away from China. We no longer can trust that China is going to support everything we need within the global supplement industry. China is dealing with a ton of crises on their own. They're making decisions that are illogical to the Americans or maybe Western cultures. We are not understanding what's happening. They're making decisions 30 years in advance at this point. So we need to start to think about the supply chains and start to develop those in different regions, create the available manufacturing and everything we need for the expected future growth of the industry. If not, this industry is gonna look much different if we don't do that. And I'm all for free trade and globalization, but I also think America needs to step up and do their part a lot more in the supplement industry. Now, there's a lot of things that we just can't do because our regulations will not allow us to, but I do think there's areas for us to kind of pick up some of the slack and help out so we don't have as much of a reliance with other nations. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 